go. Hello, my friends. Hello, my life warriors. Wherever you are in the world, welcome to the Day In, Day Out podcast. Woo! Today on episode ha -ha, 289, I'm very lucky, privileged, a delight to have Helena Summer, who is an international love and relationship specialist, coach, author, and hey, mm, and a lot more. Yes, how are you today, lady? I'm absolutely fantastic to be in your presence and the presence of your warriors. Yes, look, when like she like Helena reached out to me, went, Yes, can I be on your podcast? And she went, Yeah. One of the things she sold it was with a Dracula accent. Dare I say it, like, yeah, today it's not haunting, it's terrific. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you are a very interesting cat because this is the thing. Now you you're a relationship specialist right love and all of that now your sort of start of things is considerably different well let's just say it would be highly frowned upon where you started from would oh, i be yeah. right saying that yeah pretty much <laughs> hmm. and why is that helen because <laughs> most love in relationship coaches or even therapists start with watching their parents suffer mm. or having a personal um, problem they are trying to solve so they go to school or become a coach yeah for me i watched my country in war and i was on the other side which means they hate us and I'm us who they hate. So I hate them. And then I realized I'm part of the problem. So I became a nun. <laughs> I know. I, well, like this, like there's, there's many ways of bringing global peace. Like, yes, becoming a nun. Uh, yeah. A vow of chastity uh, and everything like this. So, yeah. When did you, like, what, Like, how long were you a nun for, may I ask? Six years. Six years. Yeah. So I was 20, oh, 26, 20, 16. Yeah. When I became, and then uh, I actually married a former priest. <laughs> I know. <Okay. laughs> exactly. I know that this is going to get weird. <laughs> okay. No, please, please do. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, so... So we had a we had a vow of celibacy, simplicity, and poverty. Mm -hmm. But of course, after the marriage, we broke a vow of celibacy. Can you what? believe it? No, no, you know what? Yeah, like nuns and priests getting married. <laughs> I think that's gonna go well with the church. Just, actually, know. actually, it, believe it or not, I left. Yes. And he left. We kind of met, but we never spoke because the speaking with men was not allowed. If you are with a male person, being your father, your brother, your anyone, uh -huh. look at the floor. You can only talk about the service. You don't smile. And you are in a room with no closed doors. One-on-one -on -one with closed doors was like taboo, no way. Yeah. So you look down, you just talk about we need, I don't know, toothbrushes for female department. 
Yeah. And you just thank you very much. When will that be delivered? At nine. Okay, thanks. Bye. No, hey, no, no. So basically, we met, but we never spoke. I just saw him over there, but no interaction, nothing. So I left because I wanted to be kissed. I was 16, and while everybody was going through, you know, puberty in a proper way. And you know, exploring their bodies and stuff, I was devoted that by golly, I'm gonna stop the war. Like, if you're the the saying is, if your heart, if your um, fate is the size of m m one mustard seed, you can move the mountains. Mm -hmm. And I was so naive and so passionate, knowing that my fate is two mustard seeds. I can stop the war. <laughs> ah. so I was on a mission. I really believe this war is insanity. If when you are in the war, you really feel it's insane. Mm. My friends who we went to school at were now shooting at us. Like what? It's just insanity. You people you know, you love, right? So I believe that with my faith and my open, pure heart, I can stop the war. Like, I think this, like the sort of standing of, okay, when you're a teenager, you know everything, but you've experienced nothing uh, comes to mind. But like in a sort of war setting, don't get me wrong. Like, okay, uh, like nothing I've experienced, but that is like kind of no way of putting it. It's a weird place to be, as you say, friends you grew up with people you knew like or you believed you knew like all of a sudden becoming the other you're seen as the other and yeah like basically not afraid to take you out or anything like that like what would you say were like one of the sort of lessons you picked up before you came a nun and when you then became a nun lessons before yeah i actually had very difficult life okay everything from the conception it was through rape through really like everything in my life i don't remember happiness i don't remember it was really really difficult mm -hmm. i remember a lot of fear a lot of anxiety uh, i was bullied in the school so I already at the age of 13, I wanted to become a nun. Mm. Not because I had some divine connection with God, but because I wanted to escape and evacuate from this world. This world was so painful to me. I mm. had no shelter. I had no feeling like I'm safe here. So it's not like a in, in this world, we think that people who surrender to God want God. That's the highest level of surrender. There are actually four types of people who surrender to God. And I was at the lower, lower type of people who surrender are those who are miserable, mm. who just want escape, right? Second type are people who want money. 
who want some prestige and power, which is a lot of those in an organized religion system. A lot of them hiding behind a holy face, right? Oh, I've never heard that before. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> and then the third type of people are people who are curious. Mm. Like, what is world? What is mind? What is universe? How does everything work? I had some curiosity in me too, but that misery was my guiding force. Mm. And the fourth type is those who are really seeking for absolute truth. So imagine you put a bunch of these kind of people together in a certain organized religion, and you have a mumbo jumbo, just like you have in any other relationship. It's mm. just this one is harder to see through because there is that like a divinity and godliness all over that should be followed well like i would imagine yes as you say divinity godliness like everything has to be done a certain way but because you're a nun and because you've got priests and stuff like this there are many things you can't actually sort of tap into or like learn from because well it goes against one of your four fouls if you get what I mean yeah yeah so yeah so ah interesting so how did you move from being scared like just like scared again like wanting that escape into like yeah to the next, like, well, to the next stage. If I could write a book on it, three steps to move from fear to next stage, I would. Mm. There's no, like, a formula. It's really personal. You either grow into yourself mm -hmm. as a flower that gets a lot of sunshine and you just open or as a walnut that gets smacked with a hammer to be opened. So I didn't have much sunshine in my life. I was hammered a lot. And then when I ended up in a refugee camp, that was a lot of hammering. Mm. What Witnessing the death of a baby and a, children with gray hair and a lot of misery around. I actually ran out of refugee camp because this is this is maybe my highest search. When this baby died in a refugee camp and she, and people were talking kind of trash about the mom, mm -hmm. oh, it's mom's fault. She should have covered the baby better. It's freezing. How you cover the baby? I mean, come on, people. And I saw there was no compassion. So I felt that God was unfair because you know, the fairness in young generations, we all want a fair life. There is nothing fair, but whatever. I yeah. believe in fairness. So I ran away from refugee camp to find God so I can kick his ass. Why you kill a baby? Why don't you kill me? I went to find God and kick his ass. And I went out on the streets, whoever I could find. Where is God? Where is God? Where is God? In the church, in the Bible, in the nature, in your heart, everywhere. Show me the God. Okay. It was getting cold. And I was getting hungry and I had to pee. And I was miserable. And then 
there were these three glowing women. They were not Catholic nuns. I was not Catholic nun, but I don't talk about details. Okay. So these three glowing women came and I asked them, where is God? And they smiled, they look at each other, they look at me and peacefully they said, why do you ask us? And I said, I don't care who you ask. I ask everyone, you're not special. I didn't see them, even though they were very different. Refugees uh, have a gray faces, gray energy. These women were glowing, but I was so hungry for kicking God's ass. <laughs> and they said, come with us. And I was literally taken from a refugee camp, being hammered like a cat takes a kitten by the neck. Yeah. <laughs> they took me from refugee camp over there when I first time in my life saw sunshine. And then I bloomed. So I actually had a post-traumatic stress mm -hmm. disorder that turned into post-traumatic growth. And if there is a formula to it, I believe it's a formula of um, pure, genuine eagerness. There is a word in Sanskrit language. It's called lauliam, which means burning desire. Not a regular desire, burning desire. So there are these many principles, if you look at Buddhism or other, some principle is just chill and yeah. let it come to you. Some is like work hard, like a burning desire. But some is the fate, like the, there was the fate of that burning desire. I was going to do it by, by golly, I was going to do it. I knew I would find God that way. I didn't know how and when, but I knew it. Like it was like, phew. What did I have? I was 16 years old. I was alone. I had only my clothes on me. I didn't have money. I didn't have a phone in 1991. I didn't have a, um, a family with me. I didn't have food. I didn't have ID, nothing. And that's how I kind of woke up. I was like, wow, I have nothing. And then awakening moment. But I have my heart. And then a slam my heart is full of hatred. I hate men. I hate my father. I hate Serbians. I hate war. I hate myself. I was like, oh, wow. And that's when I realized the real awakening. With all this hatred, I am part of the problem. Like because, yeah, because like this is the thing. Like With all of that going on, with all of that playing in there, like one, like hell, wanting to meet God so you could basically physically assault him because of the loss of that baby and how, and just basically the hardship of the circumstance you were coming out of, like detoxing from that, like did it, like was it a case of it took the whole of that six years to get that detox or did that, well, you sometimes still find it sort of lingers today. It, it was, I remember the first lesson was when one of them, the oldest one, 
she came to me and she said, you know, we don't yell here. And I'm like, why are you telling this to me? I can't imagine why. No. <laughs> because we were yelling at my house. How mm. I grew up. In order to get attention, you need to explode. Otherwise, nobody hears you. So I learned to soften. And basically, the witness of gentleness, it's very, very healing. It's, it's just a place when you can finally relax. Your nervous system can feel relaxed and then it feels scared of relaxation because it's not familiar with it. And then you go through this process back and forth and you become more and more, you are basically expanding your comfort zone. You're not getting out of it. You are expanding it. I'm comfortable yelling. And I'm comfortable softening. And I'm comfortable listening. And I'm comfortable sharing. Your comfort expands. So it's almost like life becomes kinder. Because you are more open to kindness of life. Because you are seeing it and you are appreciating it. And you start playing completely different tone. A completely different song. Yeah. So when you like when you found yourself playing this different tone, having the ability to relax and possibly like exhale, like breathe for like the first time in a long time. Now, what like you said, and like I think you it made me this a little bit simple, like yeah. You wanted to kiss, kiss a man. That's the reason why you made the split. And then basically, yeah, you found your way to like your husband at the time. I don't know. Is he still your husband or is that? No. Oh, well, <laughs> it's like. Yeah. But that's a fun story, actually. Well, well, we'll get to it, I'm sure. <laughs> so, well, your husband at the time, who was a former priest. And like I, he has most really a myriad of reasons why he left like the church. But so what, apart from kissing a chap, what made you leave? Was it a case you had done or was it a case of you needed something else? Um, I learned too much about humans running an organized system. Because it's not just all holy glory. Okay. Humans, <laughs> finite, fallible human beings playing roles that they are not fully grown into. And I would see things that felt fake and forced and political and a little chit chats and a little, it, it just, it just, I learned too much. Mm. Now, if I would live my life again, I would still do it that way. I would skip, maybe I would stay three years, but I would definitely do that. That was the most beautiful 
most wow part of my life. It was really fascinating and I will forever be grateful. Like really forever. It shaped me into magic. If I think about me, who I am, that part is treasure, precious part, the whole that part of life. I would not change one thing about it. Like anything that happened, I would just stay shorter time so that I was I would not be that much disillusioned. But then again, disillusionment of it was also beautiful because it got me to see the real life. Disillusionment is a is a strong, powerful part of of life. <laughs> no, but yeah. I would I would imagine if you did leave three years beforehand, like. Yeah. Would you have met like would you have met your husband at the time? Would you be a coach today? Like you might like, hey, you could be a marine biologist, we know, like saving dolphins or like, yeah. Or like you might not be in America uh, at this present time. Like, yeah. It like I it's one of those things when people like go, yeah, you know what? I wish I had a time machine so I can like change something in my past. And you like go, fair enough. If you did that, you would not be the person who therefore needed to go into the time machine to change your past. So therefore, you'll just keep on the same path regardless because I've changed it. Ah, oh, you don't need to invent a time machine or go back in time to solve this. Ah, oh, so that doesn't happen. So paradox falls apart. <laughs> but yeah, but like this is the thing. Now, with all of this and like, yeah, being disillusioned with the system because look, human beings are human beings and like politics are politics. And sometimes when it comes to like, and this is no diss on the church, sometimes when it comes to the sort of life and what it offers, when you're talking to people who may have came in, like gone into the church young like yourself, and not really sort of had a taste of life in its entirety, they are like doing something when it's theory is one thing, doing something when it's practical is another. So you're never going to get that full, that full rich experience. Or they're like, oh yeah, oh, you're going to be tempted. I hear that's what it's like. Oh, I hear it's like that. Yeah. I think this is why sometimes, yeah, sometimes when you have someone who's like leading someone's life, they've got to be, or trying to be a leader, they've got to be a little bit dirty. Not that filthy, but a little bit, you know? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. So how did you, like, how did you, like, start to get that knowledge, get that experience? as a young 22-year-old, like, woman in the world, freshly married to a priest. Uh, yeah, former priest, as you say. Former priest. <laughs> First, I'll, tell you, I'll show you how we got together, actually. Okay. So I knew he existed. He knew okay. I existed. That's uh, by the way, I was actually 21, so it was maybe five and a half years that I stayed, if you want to be politically correct. So, 21. Uh what happened is I left and he left. I was living in Croatia. He was living in Slovenia. 
he's Slovenian. Mm -hmm. So we both left. And then one of the authorities later called me and said, hey, you left. And you know that guy? I said, yeah, I heard of him. He said, he left too. Why did you guys get married? He said, you will be in the world when men are sharks. You don't know men. You don't know men are dogs. You are innocent and whatever. So you better go with somebody who at least you will have same life values. Okay. So my first marriage was arranged marriage. <laughs> and on our first date, he wow. arrived to Croatia and we were sitting on a bench with big distance between us and we were looking on the floor and talking how we're going to get married. We did not even have an eye contact or a hug or anything. We were just being ready. <laughs> I could just see it now. Just like, yes, uh, uh, yes. Um, like Father Daniels like, told me you'll be like, yes, interested <laughs> in being married. Yes, I, I would. Yes, our wedding day will take place on this date. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, oh, wait. Like, okay. Wave yeah. your arm across. Make sure there's enough space for Jesus. Yeah. So mm, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together, even though I've oh, seen you met. from a distance and yeah. I've seen you from a distance. <laughs> like, so you're not with this guy right now. So mm, dare I dare ask, how long did this? this marriage last the the marriage to protect you from the sharks and dogs uh, of the world yes seven beautiful years and we are still friends ah. we are still friends as a matter of fact now you're gonna brace yourself okay. my first husband arranged my second marriage <laughs> I'm telling you, you can't make this nope. stuff up. <laughs> the nope. truth is stranger than fiction. <laughs> okay. So, so you you guys stuck stuck together for like seven like seven years. Um, there I don't know what broke you up. I'm I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna ask that question right now because, like. <laughs> It must have like dissolved in good terms for you to then take the advice of your yeah. ex-husband to yeah. then like get married to your next husband. Wait, <laughs> answer, answer like I do. I ask the question: Are you still with your sex? Oh, okay, right. Okay, <laughs> so <clears throat> okay. So yes, with your second husband. So you took the advice from your first husband to get with your second husband. Like, how long did it last with your second husband? Oh my God. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So why did you listen to your ex-husband to marry your second husband? Because we were best of friends. Okay. I knew him. Uh -huh. He wanted the best for me okay. uh, he always had my back he had my best interest in mind 
And so we had to part everybody. Why did you get divorced? We had. Uh, yeah. so it's like, why? We did had, why? Because um, he was really, really, really sick oh. from birth. He had skin disorder and asthma from birth. Okay. And it was getting worse and worse and worse. He would sometimes go like this and bloody cuts. Oh, God. His feet were bloody. Socks were getting stuck on his feet. Oh, my. Yeah. So he was unable to make money. We, I loved him but like he was God. We could not have children. We tried, trust me, every day. <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> because that was the only thing that would suit him to fall asleep. If we didn't have sex, I got three, five times a day. He would be itchy all the time and like he could barely breathe. It was really, really difficult for him. So he wanted to go orto-spiritual. Like he would go into prayer and meditation for eight hours a day. And I wanted to wear high heels and try mini skirts and maybe try makeup and oh my god i want to be a woman so our life came to the part where we were like it was so hard he would just go and meditate all day long and pray and he would watch me sleep i would sleep and he he would record me sleep i would sleep like this And he saw this is a burden to him, to to me. This life was a burden. But I was such a good wife. I would never say that. I I was basically serving him Mm -hmm. all the time. And we didn't have much money. So we would go and work some odd jobs or whatever. And I would work. He could not. So he did not want to watch me suffer and feel responsible for my suffering. So it took us a long time to, we knew after about five years, we knew this will not work, but we stayed two more years because we could not, I could not imagine my life without him. He was my everything. Like he was like, wow. We We went to the court to divorce holding hands. And the judge said like, I will not divorce you. People hate each other here. You guys are not ready to divorce. And we stopped holding hands. We went like this. Are we ready now? And the judge goes, you guys will regret this. So we just signed the papers and we still live together for another six months because we could not part, but we knew we would have to. So one day he had a dream. He had a dream that we were on Trafalgar Square in London Mm. And I, we were living in Croatia or Slovenia, but we were in London and I was trying to ride a horse and horse was dying and salivating and suffering under me. And he was trying to help. And then God came to him and said, Hey, look over here. And he said, no, 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 God, let's help her. We need to help her. And God said, no, look over here. He said, no, we need to help her. And God said, look over here. And the moment he looked, the horse got healthy and big, beautiful white horse. And I had a beautiful, long blonde hair. And I 
ride and I wave to him and I ride. And he translated that, that he is limiting me. So he had a message. He had to let me go. And I was not to go. Where do I go? I love you. I want to be with you. But I'm suffering because I have my life. I want to live. So I cannot live my life. So we were, it was a really in, internal struggle. It was really, really difficult to divorce. So the smart man as he is, he went on veggiedate.org, a place where vegetarians used to date. And that was back in 2004. Okay. And he was looking for guys. And he asked me, what's your ideal man after me? And I was 29. And I said, some dude who is at least 42 to be old man who has ex-wife and ex-children that he's busy with. So he will not fall in love with me. So I don't have to love him. I will love you forever. But I just like to be with some old dude. 42 was old for me at the time, right? I know. I know. I'm like, oh my God, how beautiful the time was. You are in that kind of illusion. It's like, oh man, 42. Wow. You, the ancient one, the ancient one. I was ageist. So, so he told me, he said, no, you will not have old guy, some fuddy daddy who has ex-wife and ex-kids that he worries about. You will have a new man who you will build life with and mm. have fun because I was very afraid of having fun. I am very talkative, but I'm introvert. Still now, I can just be in the house all day long. Like I'm happy by myself. I don't need to go out, but I know I have to for life is out no inner inner life is here but also out right we need to deal with people so um uh he looked and he found this super gorgeous <laughs> surfer dude in hawaii who looks like literally my second husband he looks like a tom cruise and mel gibson at their best time like went beautiful dark skin, big blue eyes, perfectly chiseled surfer bodies. Oh God, hot, sexy man. Only one or two years older than me. And I was like, no, this man is a trouble. This will be all the chicks and everything. My first husband was ugly, but to me, he was gorgeous. He was ugly on a worldly standards. To me, I would just look at him like, God, you're so beautiful. I'm so in love with you. Well, like, this is the thing about you, Helena. Like, okay, look, they're like, <laughs> okay, they're, the whole thing, like, in the UK and the developed, like, the West, let's say, like, ladies approach things in a slightly different manner. Like, it's like, I'm, yeah, like, a little bit of like, distraction and like yeah maybe a little bit of deception and not not sort of all the sort of like yeah what i found from any lady who's from mm, like let's go uh, check all the way east yeah there's this there is how can i say this sometimes brutal honesty it just comes <laughs> like you can't yeah that's not going right yeah 
uh, let's just say I I have I have met one or two ladies from Eastern Europe in my and Central Europe in my time, and yes, <laughs> brutal honesty, like I, it it amuses me, and like yeah, carry on, yes, your husband, your husband at the time who you went, he was ugly, but to you he was everything. He was so beautiful to me. He was so handsome. I would look at him and I would just be like, how am I so lucky? Wow. Like, and his skin is all red and like whatever. And I was just thinking, I wow. I was so in love. So I'm our last kiss and last sex was way better than first way better everything was just getting better and better it's just a practical compatibility of where we want our life to go was really mismatching like going in a train and this train goes left and this train goes right yeah you need to take your train but you want to take it together how do you do it it was painful very painful to divorce and then um so this second husband, uh, my husband is like, okay, this is the man for you. And I'm like, hell no, he's too handsome. He said, go learn to surf, have fun. Finally, stop being this introverted little chick, be a woman, get suntan, be happy in Hawaii. So he said, write to him. So I wrote to him. And before I send it, my first husband checked it out. He said, what? No normal man will ever reply to this. Move. So he wrote to him a first letter. The guy instantly replied. And my husband said, now you take it over and be smart. Marry him and be happy. And that's how it happened. <laughs> okay. Like, because to me, with the way you've just spoken about your first husband and like yeah the circumstances and like yeah because of his health this is the reason why like yes you can like stay together you'd like you know what i mean everything else was like pretty much spot on i could like to like say your second marriage only lasted two years i'm actually very surprised it lasted two years because like here's the thing like it like as soon as you like sent the letter off and the way it like your first marriage ended, it surely you must have known deep 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 down that it was doomed from the get-go. Yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Uh the problem was what do we do? We mm. were going back and forth like this for two years. What do we do? It was so painful. And I was grieving the loss of my first husband for four years. So every day he was my first thought for four years. He was my last thought. Mm. And through my whole second marriage, I was talking to him. Oh, primus this, primus that, primus, primus, primus. And of course, I killed it for my second husband because I was always talking about this other guy mm. who doesn't exist here and who who we both agreed we will not have any contact. And we didn't see each other for, I don't know how many years, probably at least 10 years. 
until we finally saw each other again. And it was like, no time has passed. We were just like, like, wow, it felt so good. But like, okay, I have a boyfriend and you married, so back off, but I'm glad you are alive. And after that contact, we stayed in contact. Uh So yeah, we talk every week. Sometimes we talk every day, two, three times. Depends what's going on in each other's lives. Wow. Like, yeah. It's a shame that didn't work out. It is a shame. But like, hey. But it worked out. You see, the love never stopped. Yeah. You know, the, somebody of us, you, remember when I told you that I, I was evacuating, right? And avoiding my hard life. So yeah. in that marriage, one of us would have to get evacuated mm. in order for the marriage to work. So we kept the love working. Love stayed. Admiration and respect stayed. It's just the marriage was ended because two people could not be on the same train. So I don't see it as a shame. I never, people say, oh, how can you be a love coach when you have two failed marriages? I don't have one failed marriage. Nothing failed. I love these people. These are wonderful people who gave me so much. I love men. I absolutely admire men. Who you guys are, what you do for the world, what you do for people. It's incredible how courageous you are, how strong you are. You uh, Men are awesome. And I'm lucky to have had two wonderful specimens dealing with my crazy self. Wow. Thank you, man. And now I have my third husband who also loves me and he thinks I'm adorable and I'm the best thing ever, even though he knows I'm cuckoo in many ways. <laughs> I was going to ask what your current relationship status is. Yeah. Like third husband, like how, like when did you, like, are you? Of course. Yeah. We have been married for more than 10 years. We've been together. Okay. Yeah, it's all good. I, I, I don't <laughs> my know. First but... husband, my, my first husband and my current husband, they're yeah. really good together. They talk often and they are totally cool together. Yeah. My first husband really respects my current husband. So it's all well. And this is why from the war to war with myself, to war with life, I learn about love. And this is why I had some, if I would be a captain, I experienced two big uh, storms and big losses of my ship, but I'm still a captain. I did not become a hairdresser. I'm still a captain. I still believe in love. I still believe in relationships and I'm going to ride these ships and help other people navigate the wild seas Mm. because this is life. I am qualified. That made me more qualified. No, that is the thing. I no, but this way, no. In like, if we go like quickly, sort of jump back to what I said about people in the church not having that sort of life experience to basically, they like they they say they know everything, but they have not that sort of experience to help people truly like for you to like oh yes 
I was married once with a man I truly loved, like cared about everything like this. Got like who set me up with my second husband. Then like, yes, knowing I made like possibly made a mistake, made a mistake. You took a step down a wrong path, but it gave you valuable lessons along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I don't know how, like you never mentioned the sort of gap between your second husband and your third <laughs> husband. That's, that's also a story. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure we're going to get there in a second. But like, yeah, they like, go, right. I've like, this is the man who I love. And like, yeah, I've been with last 10 years. Like, yes, who had like, who I love, adore, cherish. Who like basically is a good like is a good person for me, like not just by your standards, but by your first husband's standards. <laughs> it's like it's quite like, it's quite a thing. Like, dare I ask? And I'm well, dare I ask? When did like how long between husband number two and the husband number three? Did it take long, long? I was when we got divorced. I think I was maybe thirty or something, and I remember thinking, "Wow, I've been married and divorced twice, and I never had a date. I've never been engaged." With both men, it was how we're gonna get married. <laughs> I never got an engagement ring. I'm sorry, but there's like there's scores of women out there right now who hate your freaking guts. <laughs> so I go, like, hey, that's like hey. That's okay. Yeah. Okay, carry on. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so I was just looking at life and thinking, okay, so I already had two men that I was married with. So of course the world thinks, and it was the truth, I had sex with two men. I believed I was damaged goods. Who will want me? I'm old, I'm 30, I'm old, and I already had two men see me naked. That means I'm damaged goods. Who will want me? You see? I, and I realized, okay, this is a really heavy-duty belief. Mm-hmm. This is very limiting. And I was afraid of men. My first husband was like a, like a jewel, like a pomade on a, on a burned skin. Yeah. My father was the fire that burned. My second husband, I evacuated. So there was really, I always say we were like a strawberry and tomato. We look alike, red with a little green, growing the same garden, but you don't make a strawberry tomato smoothie. So the smoothie was not a good combination. Strawberry goes with banana, cucumber and and tomato, but you don't mix this too. So I had no understanding of men. Like men are either like my father or one angel for one person at 
in the lifetime. So what happens to me? I'm screwed. I've been married and divorced twice. I don't believe in the institution of marriage again. We try to have children with both husbands. Obviously, I can't have children. So why do I need a, to, to be married? So I gave up the idea of being married. But I had an idea of wanting to heal all my father's wounds. So I embarked on a journey to go on dates with men only to learn who men are, to learn to appreciate men, to learn to respect them, to find the best in them, what I called to dig the gold in man's heart, in man's personality and man's character. I didn't want to live with the shadow of my father's story or the fantasy of my first husband. I wanted to get real down to earth. And I would tell men when they asked me on a date, I would say, look, I'm not ready to date. I'm not ready to have a relationship, but I want to learn to respect men. And I pretty much had interviews with them to learn their experiences with women, to learn where they stand, to learn, oh my God, how much men want to do for us and how little respect you guys get for being amazing and how much pain women cause men and this whole propaganda that, oh, between a war of sexes, this is such propaganda. Mm. Everybody, we want to be together. We want to help each other. We want partnerships. Yeah, we don't have skills, but men are awesome. So I went on dates with more than 500 men, Ooh. only to learn who men are. I did not sleep with them or kiss them, just dates. <laughs> like, don't go there now. I, I, no, I was, I, no, I was, Some people ask me. I was some people ask me. You kiss virgins on your virtue. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I wanted to learn who men are. I wanted to ask them, but what about this? And what about that? And, and, and this... Terrible things that sometimes men do because you guys are stronger physically. And what about the evil things that women do because we are quicker and faster to trick you? And what about this and what about that? And I was bridging the gap. I was making us both more human and more real in my research. Mm. And that I remember in Hawaii, I lived in Hawaii, right? So there are all these weddings every day, people on the beach taking pictures. And I remember thinking, ah, yeah, right, in two years, you're going to be divorced. I was cynical. And then one day, with all these 500 dates, I would see the, um, the wedding and I would be like, oh, how beautiful. You guys look so happy. And I was like, wow, I started changing. And I learned that this change in me came because of you, man. I learned this is the fact I will always say it. One man heals, but another man hurt. Without him knowing, without him doing it consciously, just with his beingness. The posture of a man who is in his masculine attitude, who is present who is strong who 
honors himself and his time, who is here to make the world better place, to protect women, animals, children, and planet, to cherish, to, to be a man, instantly heals. If the woman is open and receptive, she will be healed just by the mere presence of such a man. I am curious because look, this is the thing. Okay, look. You, you, you've come over to the United States and I don't know, like, you know what I mean? Like back, with, back in your homeland, if that, like, you know what I mean? The sort of realm of masculinity that was like something which is held in a different way and seen in a different light to what it is seen in the United States. Because, okay, like, okay, back then, and let's just say the goalposts have shifted uh, a lot from when you most really first came over. Like, yeah, being a man, masculine, everything like this is, how can I say? Not so, like, it was not so much, it was frowned upon slightly, most probably when you first like got over, like came to Hawaii. Uh, now it's in many, like some certain circles, it is treated with hatred and like much like venom. It took you 500 dates to like work out where men are coming from in the United States, say. Like, would you say that, like, would you say that mirrors a lot of, um, like, men around the world? Or is that just, you know what I mean? I was not limited. Uh, I did not have any, any criteria. Most women have a criteria. Tall, dark, and handsome Italian millionaire who is romantic and wants to have my babies. Yes. I did not have judgment. I was going out to meet men. Uh, short, skinny, big, huge, rich, poor, old, young. I was open. My criteria was honest, loving, willing, and organic. Organic means good for the long run. Uh -huh. So I had my criteria and I was, this was my job for me. I was digging the gold. My job on every date was to find three golds about this man. I would focus my mind. I need to find three golds. One gold about his character, one gold about how he treats me, and one gold about who is he in the world. World meaning his family or his work, any world that is be beyond me and him at the him and me at the point. So Hawaii is full of international, it's an international place. It's a you know, Japanese, Chinese, Filipino people, all kinds of colors. So I was open to everyone because I was not looking for a man to marry and capture. I was looking for myself to grow and flourish. And uh, yes, every culture, I lived in Japan. Uh, I visited India, Thailand, Singapore. I traveled the world. I was all around. Cultures do have a different perspective of men. 
-hmm. men show up differently with this modern time there is so many more men than before who are kind of scared of women who are waiting for women to make the first move who don't have the posture that is very powerful but more of a posture like okay i'm gonna whatever you want where do you want to go what do you want to do they're not like hey girl i want to take you out how do you feel about that they're more like oh what do you like Uh, maybe you know so that weaker energy is way more prominent now than before but culturally also i noticed the man from like a uh, middle east Uh have way more they know they have to show up men from america today they know they are competing with a woman and a good man does not want to compete with a woman like men compete with men in biology with a woman even a short little skinny guy by his muscular structure is stronger than me he knows he can punch me out right so they don't want to so they kind of start sitting on a back line waiting for a woman to decide waiting for a woman to ask him out waiting for a woman to make the first move mm, so when i coach women i i i teach them how to invite a man to do that how to respect a man very simple mm. Imagine a woman woman just tells you you say something i don't know we should go out sometimes. That's a very, very safe thing to say. Maybe we should hang out. We should grab out the coffee. And I teach a woman to say, you know, I respect a man who initiates first date. Or there is nothing sexier than a man who picks up the phone and calls me to arrange a date. Or if you ever want to ask me out for a date, I will happily say yes. There are many ways you can actually take the feminine receptive mode that allows a man to stand up and knows, okay, she's not going to chop me off, my two little precious things, right? She's (laughs) She's going to respect me if I can be myself because the world craves clean, beautiful, empowering, feminine, and clean, beautiful, empowering, masculine. The world craves it everywhere. So why not allow ourselves to create the world we want? Now, you bring up some interesting points uh, with what you just said there. Now, this is like, this is a thing. Like, let's start with the last bit. There will be so there will be women out there who would simply like go, what you're trying to tell like women to be passive or like you're trying to tell them to be weak. Uh I but the way I see it, the way like I interpret I'm not what, asking them to be passive or weak. No, but I'm asking the way, them to be receptive and clear. Yeah, but like all I the way I see it, the way I interpret it, uh, mm-hmm. is that you're like, okay learn to play the game of like uh, there are certain things you can say or do like where you can like go hey you die over there come over 
like come over i'd like to get to know you better and like yeah given that sort of maybe a cue or two to like uh, initiate like the quote unquote first move you don't though. say to a man come over you look oh, at him uh, smile yeah. you show that you're interested you don't control the man come you come here and make me sweep me off my feet no there's so many powerful sweet ways we can do things Yes, but like this is one of the things I would say with uh, certain groups of ladies, not all of them have, well, I don't think they've actually been taught that side of things uh, to, or it's been kind of beaten out of them because of the sort of areas they might, like areas or groups of people they might live with, like circulate in to like, oh, no what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing, not, it's like, okay. So it makes things hard down. But like, when you say compete, men competing with ladies, what do you mean by that? Because like, this is the thing, like on my sort of day-to-day -day life, I don't see myself competing with any ladies at all. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm just going like, you know what I mean? doing my thing and if it was a case of oh someone went yeah at work about going yeah i'm still doing my thing like yeah if that lady is better at her job and she's getting a promotion fine no worries but i'm doing my thing no worry you know so is it possible to clarify what you mean by that please yes um polarity competition so in the beautiful relationship yeah. In the let's compare it to a kingdom. There okay. is a king and there is a queen. Okay. You sit on your throne to be clear in the relationship, not to mix energies. If I sit on my throne and then I push you off yours and then I sit on yours for a while and then I leave both thrones and I expect you to sit on both and then da, 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 this is polarity mess. And that polarity mess is causing the loss of attraction, the loss of chemistry. Because you don't know where you stand. Plus, it's causing the, 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 the uh, game in the kind of posture game, okay. meaning like Young was talking about it, right? Young's philosophy is parent. Yes. Parent, it, right? So you basically talk about, like, I'm a parent and I'm talking to you like you are my child. Come mm -hmm. over, you do this, you do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm bigger and I'm adult and you are small, I have to talk down to you. Or we expect to be, oh, please tell me what to do. What do you want from me? What do you want? And with that attitude, you have to make this one person grow to not grow, but be on that position so you can be your own victim mm. because that feels safer to you. But what I'm teaching is I'm okay and you are okay. We are connecting because we both come as two healthy individuals. Competition is when we mess things up and we seduce with Oh, our little, oh, I don't know what to do. Or we we control with those games about if you don't do it my way, then it's over. Mm. So those are the, the interactions 
in our verbal language, those interactions are causing lack of chemistry and causing problems when two normal, healthy people really want to be together. But the game between them, inter interactions, games, get so gamey and so useless mm. that we end up competing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I make more money. Well, I'm, I did the dishes today. Well, I walk a dog. Why don't you? Da, 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 da. Why? Yeah. Because we don't have the posture of I'm okay, you are okay. Mm, that's it's it. not, relationships are not 50 50 it's a hundred a hundred two yeah. healthy individuals create something mm, no i hear you i hear you because like this is the thing um if if you spend a little bit of time on the internet and you get drawn down to like some of the rabbit holes that uh, that it can take you it like you're you're describing yes equality like building a partnership, like making a team which, like, yeah, takes on the world together. Whereas more times than not, it's, yes, it's either like male dominance or like female dominance over each party to dominate that relationship to make it like go their way rather than sort of walking together. It's more like dragging the other person down a pathway which ultimately at the end of the day never holds a positive outcome uh, when, like for both parties. Whereas if you are equals, if you are unified, you move forward together in a positive manner. You don't want to be equal. That's ah. a dynamic. You don't want to be equal. Now oh. imagine a dance. Okay. Equality dance is disco, huh, 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 stay alive. We all dance the same motion. It looks what? cool. What people do, either they try to dance equality and because equality doesn't make anyone feel special, we are all the same, then after they dance a slam dance. <laughs> slam on each other, right? <laughs> what I teach is tango. Ah, totally dressed differently you are in your masculine you look like a man you are in your feminine your long dress high heels he's leading you you dancing backwards in a high heels with a long dress completely glowing he does all the work but it makes you look beautiful all eyes on you oh, I hear you like what I've got to simply say is Woo, there are going to be some ladies out there like, what? <laughs> now, but with like what you've said here and everything like this, and like, yeah, I like it. And like this, like, and like there's going to be things where I'm like, I agree with you on like many a level. And then it'll be like other times I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. I'm a little out there, I know. <laughs> No, but it's like, you know, like, it's what you're, like, it's who you are, and it's like, there must be, there must be a, a need or a want out there, because <laughs> you wouldn't be doing what you've been doing. Um, So, like, I have, like, I've seen the red pill, blue pill, everything like that on the internet, and, like, yeah, feminism on, like, like, 
on the right side, uh, on the good side to the toxic side. And yeah, it's these extreme pools and pockets you often hear the loudest from. But And I don't talk about feminism. Uh, no. As a movement, any ism, I talk about femininity. Yeah. The, energy. the feminine energy in the nature, the masculine yeah. energy in the nature. Everything has its the energetic world. Yeah. I am not politically correct. I will not sound politically correct, but I am scientifically accurate. People come to me, they don't like me, and they come back, you were right. I know. So, like, with this, like, have you, like, say over the, say from the COVID times up until now, have you found that there's been a larger sort of uptick in your work? Uh, yes, uh, COVID has caused a lot of conflict, a lot of divorces, mm. because people got stuck together, and it multiplied problems they already had without skills, how to do them and what to do about it, because people tend to go into their own cocoon, and I want to be right, no, I want to be right, and they don't look at the relationship as this is our relationship. It's not you against me. It's you and I for the relationship. Mm. You see? And how we want this relationship to dance. Some people really love slam dancing. They'll be together, married forever. And they will go back and forth, on again, off again, break up and cheat and blah, blah. And they love the slam dance. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm never going to teach that. I don't like disco. Like, I never, ever take out the trash ever i never fill up the gas ever that's what my husband does and if we do equal i fill up the gas and then you fill up the gas i do the trash then you do no but i always not always 90 percent of the time i do cooking i prepare food anything that is yummy and delicious and sexy that's my job and my husband loves it. Yeah. Until I get all masculine and I start controlling him. You guys, you don't like, you would do what a woman tells you to do. But you would not do it if she tells you what to do and how to do it. And I often do that. Like, hey, can you do this? Sure. And he said, no, no, not this way, that way. And he looks at me. I said, okay, okay, got it. Do it your way. <laughs> I'm happy you're going to do it. <laughs> You see, so I, I am aware of these typical modern masculine traits in women. I have it too. I have a lot of natural, the way I look and the way I am. I have a lot of yang energy in me, mm -hmm. which is masculine energy. But if I want to bring out the yang of my husband, yang is attracted to yin. So I'm a smart woman. I'm intelligent. So I'm going to use my, what I call zipper therapy. Instead of telling him how old, how wrong he is, I'm going to zip it. And I'm going to praise him. And I'm going to dig the gold. And I'm going to bring out the best of him. You're a scary lady. You're a scary lady. But I like this thing. Like one of the things like I recently saw like from a smart person who put up a post, like saying, yeah, 
Like we spend 10,000 to a quarter of a million on a wedding, but we don't actually spend anything on the marriage. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like, I think it's one of those things where it's, you do the big day and the sort of time investment to sort of like really go, okay, need to work things out because I think, I don't know why it is, but there is a sort of mental difference to being married than when you're in a relationship and it brings up all kinds of things. I'm not too sure how, but it does. Um, like, yes, I, yeah, I, I'm not, I'm saying this rather quietly because my lady's in the other room and she's like, yeah, if you see the door go bursting open, I go, where's my ring, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it's like, <I'm, laughs> that'll be another story. But yeah, like, what would you, like, from the clients you've had and everything like this, what has been someone, like, would you say have been some of their like, biggest misconceptions between like being in a relationship and getting married? It's a uh, man usually marry a woman they like now. Mm. Oh, I like you. You are bright and smart and uh, respectful and happy and you look amazing and we get along and we travel well together and we eat well together. Like, I like you. Mm -hmm. so they marry a woman they like now, hoping this is the woman I married. I'm going to have her for the rest of my life. She marries a guy that she likes now, but she also sees his potential. He could do better this and better that and better this and better that. So she's trying to change him through the marriage. Because I'm just trying to help. Your life would be much easier if you work out more. Wouldn't it be better if you do this? Why don't you do that? Why this and why that? And he's like, wait, you were completely cool and accepting when we met, when we got together. Mm. And now there is this, like, I want you to stay the same and I want you to change. So there is the conflict to start. So we kind of mask that down and pretend it's not there, but it's affecting our energy and our polarity. It affects the hormones. When a woman is nagging and criticizing and complaining, it depletes men's testosterone. It depletes his attraction to her. And then if he fights with her and gets angry, it depletes his testosterone even more. So he starts feeling like I'm not a man enough with her. Like I miss myself. So I need to go out with guys and drink with them or whatever, shoot a gun with guys. And then he comes home and she's like, where have you been? And da 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 So the cycle just goes, becomes more toxic instead of more partnershipy. You see? So, uh, most people, they never, ever in their marriage, they never sit down and discuss four or five most important things. Negotiation is necessary. So if you negotiate time, how much time together? How much time apart? How much time working? How much time on vacation? One week a year, three weeks, whatever. Negotiate time. Space. From my side of the bed to my closet to any space around, right? 
money, very important thing to address money. Who pays for what? My money, my husband and I, we have a deal. My money is my money and his money is our money. And it's working very well. And, but then I heard somebody says, oh, I have a deal. That my money is her money and her money is her money. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but let me tell you why that works. Because the woman feels safer if her money is put into investments versus into daily food and shelter. And a man feels more masculine if he can provide food and shelter. There is something about the, I am, everything I talk about is scientifically accurate. It's not politically correct, sounds crazy. But it's really, if you sit and think, it's designed for our hormonal selves to be in sync versus in vitriol, right? So time, space, money, play. Sexual play, non-sexual play. I'm playing in Vegas for two weeks. What about me? I don't know. Right? How are we playing together? I want to have sex every day. I want to have sex every month, once a month. What do we do? This is things to discuss. And sometimes the fifth thing depends on your uh, family status, chores and children. Who does what and how do we do? When people sit together and you write your what you want it to be, your ideal case scenario. She writes her ideal case scenario and you compare it. Oh, well, we don't agree on this and we don't agree on this, but okay, I'll give you this if you give me this. I'll give you, and you negotiate. So this is when you teach your nervous system and your brain cells that we are partners. We are not opposing parties. We are partners. As your podcast is day in and day out, day in and day out, you need to learn day in and day out, how do we bridge? And that's the art. That's the beauty. But people don't want to take the time. I'm too busy playing video games. We need to watch a movie. How you said people invest 10 to quarter of a million on a wedding. And a three to six months or a year on planning that wedding. But they don't invest time to sit together and negotiate things. Time is an investment that our relationship need more than money. Investment of time. Women, we want to feel seen. Everybody wants to feel seen, but we want to feel seen, desired, connected. We want to feel safe, special, and sexy. You guys want to feel respected, needed, admired. That's so cheap. So not cheap, like a low value, but cheap is easy to give. So easy, one gold. You know, honey, I really appreciate you when you did this. That was so wonderful. Yeah, I would never, like I wouldn't put cheap on that. I would just say it's a lot more simpler than you think. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. Yeah, I'm going to use the, that word. Mm. Yeah. Because I think people, I think everyone overcomplicates it because especially when they, how can I put it, have time to be in their own heads and like, oh, yeah, it should be this, it should be that, it should be this. And by the time they've actually worked it out, it might be too late or they never, ever work it out. 
and it can lead to some hard losses and some painful lessons down the like down the way. Mm. <laughs> Where like yeah, some people like some people start out with a, when they're in their twenties with a long checklist, and if they're still single in their like late thirties, it's just I just want the person to be nice to me. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> now my final question like yes ah how can i put it now if i could if i could have give you the power to have one perfect moment in your life what would that moment be ah ultimate ultimate combination of peacefulness and playfulness in a sense of a child or a puppy looks like it's time travel back to a younger like younger you with a puppy fair enough ah Helena I have to say thank you for coming on to the podcast today. It has been a delight to have you on. Yes, I like. I'm sure there's going to be people out there with pitchforks after both of us at some point. But still, bring it on! on. <laughs> bring it on! Let's let's talk about it. Hey, pleasure. Yeah, can you tell the lovely people out there how they can find you, how they can connect with you out there on these interwebs? <laughs> my name helena summer.com helena summer.com very simple go to my website you can download the answers i actually have a pdf in which i talk about the most in- interesting questions that i got from my clients through the years and i have history of working for over 20 years with high achievers what are they going through in love and i they're short and sweet some answers are one word very fun and very easy to read and very interesting to go through so helenasummer.com check it out and come to answers ah excellent excellent my friend like yes thank you yeah and what i simply say to you my friends my life warriors yes you track helena down do connect with her on there all of her links and everything about it will be in the show notes in the description. So click away and yes, connect with her today. Ah, but let me just say this to you, my friends, my life warriors. Thank you for sticking with us to the end of this show. Please stay well, stay safe, be awesome, be excellent, be fantastic. Be all the positive bees you can be in this world and then some. And keep on trucking. Yeah. Peace. Ah, and we are...